0: Hi, I'm Tom Kerridge here on the BBC Good Food Podcast. This week, I'm speaking to James Weller of Cabrito about his favourite dish, goat tacos. After 15 years as a chef, James and his partner Sushi founded Cabrito Goat. James, how on earth did you get to this point? Tell us about your business. What is it? How have you got there? What is this journey? And why
1: did you give up being a chef after 15 years? What's wrong with you? well i gave up being a chef off because i was that's too old i think like there comes a point there comes a point where i from looking at it from sort of inside the business and outside the business that you either become a head chef and move to an exec level where you spend less time on the shop floor for one of a better term or you end up with your own restaurant and i wasn't talented or gifted enough to do either of those things and that's why I was. I started looking for something else, I think. And I moved back down to Devon after Sushi and I got together. I grew up in Devon, so we moved back down there. And through a series of coincidences, we ended up with a small piece of land that was completely overgrown, and it needed sorting out. So we put four goats on it to clear it out. And in doing, in getting those goats, I spoke to a guy called uh, Will and his wife, Caroline, who were making um, storley cheese for Neil's Yard at the time, and. He then informed me of this problem in the goat dairy industry, which which it still seems insane that I hadn't worked this out beforehand. But what do you do with all the male goats? You can't milk male goats. You require pregnancy for lactation. Therefore, you're going to get male goats. But where do they go if we don't, in this country, have any cultural history of eating goat? And the answer was, sadly, in the overwhelming majority of cases, they were euthanized at birth. So a lot, people will be familiar with this story because it's what we've learned about in veal calves. Yeah, And we've made an awful lot of progress in veal. But we haven't made that progress in goats. So I found out about this, and me and Susie were like horrified that this could happen. And naively and probably quite arrogantly, we thought, well, I I mean, it is quite horrific, isn't it? Because if if, if it's
0: not something that you think about at any point, so we're we're, we're getting goat's milk to make. I mean, the biggest thing about goats is for cheese. Goat's cheese is probably the biggest industry of the byproduct of goat, it's not necessarily goat's milk for drinking or using and making. Although uh, although that's in all the major supermarkets,
1: I mean, it it is a supermarket product and there's there's a hundred thousand milking nannies in the UK which means you know on average you have a 50 fifty split between males and female of the kids born and each of those goats will give birth to maybe two three goats a year that's a lot of billy goats going essentially in the bin and we just thought this is completely I mean not only is this wrong but it's solvable yes because there is outside of the uk there is cultural history of eating goat and it's it forms the cuisines it forms the basis of of many cuisines all over the world from south america all the way through to south asia so i just thought what is it about the uk that means we don't have any history of eating goat and the answer is sheep farming so we a thousand years ago we started exporting an awful lot of wool, then it became the backbone of the of the British. Um, it became the backbone of the British economy, and that's how we became a trading nation. All this stuff, and in the if you look in the Doomsday Book, where I'm from in Axminster, there are goats in Axminster in the Doomsday Book. There's more goats than sheep. But if you fast forward a couple hundred years, Axminster's famous for making carpets, and carpets are made out of sheep wool. Yeah, so they'd got rid of all the goats. Any farmers that could farm at all, they took on sheep because the fleece was really valuable. It was exported all over Europe and small peasant farming as well as large farming post enclosures became almost solely about sheep because of the wool. And therefore, people start writing recipes for the stuff that's about and what's about is sheep and not goat. And it totally marginalized goat meat in the UK, almost uniquely in the world, because you yeah, don't have to go very far to find goat recipes. You will find goat recipes in Spain. You will find goat recipes in Italy. You're, I mean, it's not it's not a it's not a global food that excludes Europe. It just excludes the UK, and it's because of that wall trade. So. You've got to that point. You've worked that out. You've got this
0: bit of land that's overgrown. And, and where were you cooking first? Where where did you spend your fifteen years? What's your where, where, what's your culinary background? Your heritage? Uh,
1: well, I started cooking professionally when I when I came back from travelling because I thought I've got to do something for a living, and I got a job at the Lansdowne in Primrose Hill, which is the second gastropub ever, and I worked there for four or five years and kind of started the first job I did when I walked in I remember it so clearly was stripping kale off the stalk so that's how little I knew I was like basically a glorified KP I worked my way up made some there was a pizza machine, a pizza oven there so I did a lot of pizza cooking and then I ended up being the, the the meat and fish line cook and from there I went there for a long time and then I went to the eagle in Farringdon which was the first ever gastro pub and is still my favorite place on the planet so both Absolutely brilliant pubs. I know the lands that I used to work in Primrose Hill as well. So I know, right.
0: like, both great pubs, um, community kind of area based, but actually the food is always really heartfelt, soulful, but also it embraces um, global cuisine, not just about yeah. British food. Like, it was really kind of cutting edge. Like you say, the Eagle was the first gastro pub there, but it was, you know, using all sorts of different flavors and introducing French culinary dishes, Spanish yep. dishes, yeah. North African dishes yeah. into. Brilliant pubs. So so you your interest in cooking and your design and drive for food has not just been down one culinary route. It's been about embracing flavors from around the world, but in a British environment.
1: Yeah. I mean, the Eagle had a very kind of Spanish, Italian, and like you said, North African style to it. But then I moved to Great Queen Street, which was um, in Great Queen Street. And that was very British and the kind of Anchor and Hope, kind of St. John uh, sort of feeling. And that that one Bre- Best British Restaurant for a couple of years. And that was where I did it. I I feel like that was where I did my best cooking. Right. Because Tom norrington Davis was sometimes really hard work but he was really really good at getting the kitchen to turn out great food the restaurant landscape in the uk is much more diverse now than it was 12 10 12 years ago as well so there's a lot more there's a lot more high-end indians there's a lot more south american like so these things it's becoming more expected to see these things and i'm not saying that we've pushed those but we have been there when those things have changed and kind of allowed people to get turn those turn those dishes more authentic and you know, when I first started working in restaurants, it was, it was very different, as I say, it was a very different landscape, but also like 15 years on, there's a whole generation of people that have traveled more. They're like, the, the world is a smaller place than it was 20 years ago. Like there's just more food education about, and that's because the landscape of food has changed. We go through these, like we go through the, when I first started cooking, everything was Spanish. And then everything went two or three years later, everything was Italian. And then you get a Greek phase, but now you get a Filipino phase and you get a Mexican phase and you get like, and it, the, just the landscape of food and people's education in food has changed so much. And people's expectations have changed a lot. And also people have become much more willing to try things. And then, you know, stuff happens like James Cochran and Matt Gillen. Use goat on the Great British menu, and both they were both at the banquet, and that was our goat. And so it just it seeps into the food consciousness of the country, and everything becomes easier.
0: So as 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 people see it, it's you know the result of the media, result of books, television, podcasts, whatever else. People are now beginning to go, okay, and then they're willing to try it and see it. But talk to me more about the goat itself, and and how as a type of meat
1: for people that haven't tried goat before or had goat, what how what's it relatable to this is always a really difficult question because it's so subjective but it's re- the first thing to remember about it is it's really lean because they are they are, they were first domesticated in the mountains of Iran 10,000 years ago it's not a western european animal so it doesn't have any fat in the meat it holds its fat on the outside so the meat's really lean so in that respect it's like venison in terms of its leanness and in terms of how you cook it so you've got to be if you're grilling it you've got to be careful not to dry it out like with venison because it it doesn't have that fat to, to retain that moisture um, but in terms of flavor i actually think it's not as flavorful as it's not as flavorful as something like lamb because lamb can be quite fatty it's similar to lamb in terms of a flavor profile yeah i think so but not as not quite as not quite as strong. Yeah, that's, a, well, that's what I'd say. But then it's important to remember, I think, that there's two types of goat. So there's kid goat, which is like lamb, and then there's the older goats, which are like mutton. And mutton is an interchangeable word in a lot of languages. If you have a mutton yeah. curry, yeah. You, could be eating, you could be eating sheep mutton or you could be eating goat mutton. So we have... We sell two different types. In fact, we sell three different types. So the spring kid, which is what you, which is a small sort of ten kilo, which is what you might have if you go and eat in a taverna in in Greece. Yeah, like where they where they're small and they're and it's very like the the flesh is very delicate very milky. The guy, I can't remember, the guy that owns Bocca de Lupo, I can't remember what his name is, but he, could, he just said it's like goat butter. Like right. it's so, it's young and really tender, and really delicious. And then you have the kids, which are the same size as lambs, around 20 kilos, and they will cook in exactly the same way you cook a lamb, more or less. And the flavor is much, it's not as strong as lamb, but it, but it doesn't, and what it doesn't have is that kind of innate fattiness. So in that, in that respect, as I said, it's a lot like venison. And then you have the mutton, which are the ex-milking, and for us, that is a product which has its, which is a much more authentic product if you're doing a slow... So, the cook. first two types of goat are male. Yes. And they're the
0: male goats that's that right. haven't made it into the milking process, exactly, obviously. Yeah. But then the third type, the mutton, is retired milking goats. Yes. Right. So, the,
1: yeah, that's a perfect description. So, and they require... They're they're the authentic ones in the curries or the tagines or the braises and the and the, the reason that they are that way is because they're, a they're an older animal but b a an ex-dairy goat can become an ex-dairy goat from the age of two years through to the age of seven years. It all depends on how well it milks. Right. So if it's, if if the goat is earning its money, producing over X amount of liters, which means it's making a profit on the farm, it will stay there. And if it, it might stay there all the way through till it's five, six, seven, eight, nine. Or it might not get into kid in its second lactation round. So it comes to us. And that means that sometimes the mutton carcasses, the, the, the ex-dairy goat carcasses on the hook. Some of them will weigh 25 kilos and some of them will weigh 45 kilos, oh, yeah, which okay. is a very big difference in, in the age of the animal, in the flavor profile, but also how it will cook.
0: Ah, yes, the magnificent trolley Sourbrite Crawler, also known as Trollicus brightolus. The worm's captivating neon colour makes it an easy gummy prey.
1: Trolly!
0: It's a surprisingly sour, invitingly chewy, staggeringly snackable species unlike anything else found on this planet. Eat me! Delicious. Visit trolley.com to shop now. Trolly, eat me! The bigger, the older, the deeper, the darker, the flavor, the more intense it is, yeah. the, more, the more because
1: it's lived that much longer, yeah. eating that much, being on pasture a lot more. I, and that, from a product development point of view, we then have to take that into account when we're selling it. So it's difficult for us to say, okay, we, you can, we can guarantee the consistency in the kids because we know how old they are when they're slaughtered and they come to us. It's harder to do that. So with the X dairy stuff, we always we we usually say this is better off in a braise long cook you know get that kind of um get those deep flavors into it and like i, I had a i had a tagine yesterday I had a friend around, i had friends over for dinner and i i have to cook goat when people come around for dinner or they're really disappointed yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so i made this sort of prune and saffron it was a Gilmela recipe prune saffron uh honey smoked paprika and mint and it was delicious and like that's the perfect that's the perfect way to cook those ex dairy animals, in my opinion, because you you take away that uh the the possible inconsistency.
0: So do you rear the goats at all or are you just taking carcasses or from the the goat farms themselves or are you 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 you're, you're, that's you're exactly not what we're doing. you're not you're not you've gone from that small piece of land going this is a great idea
1: to then yeah. going actually we've now got a business that's so big I haven't got the land to rear the goats farming is hard yeah like farming is really hard and it's really underappreciated in the UK and it's under a lot of pressure at the moment and i feel like that's one of the things that cabrito can do is talk about this small corner of the uk farming mix and and really celebrate it and to its massive credit the uk goat farming industry has recognized it had a problem with euthanizing the billies and it has tried to fix it we have been beneficiaries of that there are other people out there there are other goat businesses out there that are also beneficiaries of it and they have like you've got to you've got to think like the economics of a goat dairy farm if they are going to rear billies, that is extra food, extra staffing, extra bedding, and that you're increasing and They're not going to get paid for that until six, seven months down the line. And the reason they never did it was because they didn't, they couldn't find an outlet. What, what we have done. They didn't know where it's going to go. um, You provided that. What we have and others, there are other, there are other goat businesses out there as well. And as far as I'm concerned, the more the merrier. I'd rather be a small fish in a big pond than like just the only person doing it because I want more people to eat goat all over the country. And obviously Cabrito wanted to solely, I mean, our mission statement is to end the Euthanizing the billy goats. That's not all going to be us. It needs to be other people as well. So the more people doing it, the better. And the more people eating it, the better. And the The more more people eating it, the better. And, you know, not everybody's going to like me and the company that I have. They'll want to buy it from someone else. And that's great. Like, And the UK dairy industry, the UK goat dairy industry has is now now rearing more and more billies and it will continue to rear more and more and more the more that the UK public buys it. So the UK goat farming industry has really, I think, done a great job in recognising it has this problem and then sort of, it is it is working together to try and fix this problem. But it needs, like, there's a bit of push and a bit of pull, Like right? So one of the things we're trying to work on now at the moment is to get our, is to get the goat onto like a, a pub chain or one of the, or one of the sort of multiple retailers, like one of the multi-site restaurants, because that will give us the volume and the and also and then also recognition and recognition deeper yeah. recognition and into it's, the and market it's not, space and it's not my it's not my company name I want the recognition for it's UK reared goat, goat meat on one of these menus because still an awful lot of it comes in like we've got a hundred thousand milking landers in the UK there's three hundred fifty thousand in the Netherlands and there's well over a million in France so there's still a lot of importing of of not as well reared not as good quality goat meat coming in and being put on menus but I feel like that that's the next step for British goat, not just my company, but the British goat meat in general. Is to is to fill one of those menu spaces on one of those multiple retailers. So then you you talked about the
0: goat being quite similar to venison in terms of its leanness, but what about the way that you treat it in the process of it? Do you age it? Do you do you have to dry age it in fridges? How do you, how do you work with it? Is it is it something that you know one of the big upsurges in the last. 10 years as a chef that I've seen is actually the use of game. And Mm. game gets used a lot more in restaurants now because as chefs, we treat it and use it a lot fresher. We don't do the shoot something that's wild, hang it until it goes green and rotten and then serve it rare. You know, it's actually now... Cooked. Hang a pheasant by the neck till it falls off. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's actually, there's a lot more freshness to it. There's yeah, a lot cleaner yeah. in terms of those flavors. And it's become a lot more palatable. People understand it a lot more rather than go through that process. So, but in terms of then, so venison, you always put that on the menu. It sells really, really well. So go, it, what's the understanding of the process of that? Do you age it or is it something you can eat quite fresh?
1: Because it doesn't have that fat in the muscle. And the reason you can age beef is because the, the, the fat will age really nicely you can't really do that with kids. So the, it doesn't really benefit at all from being aged. Right. So, I mean, within three or four days, get, get it on, it on menu. the menu, get yeah, it cooking. Absolutely.
0: So obviously food has then been a huge part of your life, cooking in, uh, um, in, in restaurants for 15 years and now as a, as a farmer, uh, well, as a goat producer and supplier. What was your food memory like as growing up? What was it like as a kid? Has it always been something that's been the, your biggest interest?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, that and sport and girls and cider and stuff like like most people <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but food's always been there and like I grew up in the country I used to be late for school in the mornings because if we weren't on time we'd get stuck behind the milking cows and sort of growing up in that environment you I've always had that connection between farming and food like we used to get the milk was warm when it came to us in the morning like green top it's amazing and so it's I've always understood that kind of connection I'm very lucky because I grew up in quite a rural environment. And, um, from a cooking point of view, my mum used to make, like, my first cooking memory is my mum used to make two cakes, and she still makes the best cheesecake and the best lemon meringue tart, like, ever. And, like, whenever, I always cook Christmas dinner, but she always does the desserts, because she's just brilliant at them. And, uh... Uh, Yeah, I've got to mention her chocolate cake as well here. It's just just amazing. But she used to make these desserts for a bit of extra money. My dad used to drive cabs in London and we lived in Devon. He'd come back at the weekends for a little bit of extra money. Mum would make these cakes for the local hotels and bed and breakfast. And while she was making these cakes, she'd give me a little bit of pastry and a spoon and a tub of jam. And I'd make these little sort of tarts with a bit of jam in them. And then I'd put a top on them and they'd go in the oven with the cakes that my mum made. And then I'd take them out and we'd eat them. And that was... Like that's I can I can so vividly remember standing on the chair making that and enjoying it. Yeah. So that was like my, my first, and my mum always used to cook every day, and me and my brother, and when my dad was home, we'd we'd all eat together. So that food's always been really part of the sort of family dynamic. And then when I was I went to college and I lived with my sister for a while, and she'd lived all over Europe. She lived in Greece for a while. She lived in Spain for a while. She travelled a lot. And my mum is a very traditional sort of British meat to veg cook. Brilliant at it sort of her idea of sort of fancy was the pots of parmesan do you remember yeah, those pots yeah, of parmesan yeah, yeah, like yeah. I was, that was kind of as, as, as kind of pushing the boundaries my mum got and then I went to live with my sister and she was cooking moussaka and she was like cooking fish with chorizo and like I was like oh my god what is all this stuff all of these flavors yeah, suddenly like, coming alive and, absolutely yeah. and I'm like this is amazing what is this stuff like and my sister she still tells me to this day that her food bill went up 100 pounds a week when I moved in because <laughs> she's like <laughs> suddenly she's loving a. buy four or five times as much stuff as she was before
0: I love that but I mean, it
1: was, but that was a real like like I under, I'd enjoyed the process of cooking with my mum as a kid but then I went and this whole like vista of new food just opened up and it just completely changed everything for me so world cuisine obviously
0: is something that's been quite a, a huge in your influence as a youngster growing mm. up and seeing that, that opening your eyes to what a, um, the much bigger picture of how amazing food is around the world but that brings us to your favourite dish because obviously I mean in it, it's a goat. It's a goat taco, of course. So, so, so it's goat that isn't you know necessarily associated with this country, although we have learned right at the beginning here that it should be. Yeah, it should be. <laughs> it should be, and a taco. So, explain to me the dish. What makes it so special? Uh, and imagine you know you're trying to sell. it. Imagine you're like a goat taco sommelier. What is the best thing about it? Why? Are you, how are you selling it to me? Well,
1: for me, it's the authenticity of it. So I always. I didn't want to jam goat into a shepherd's pie and try and get people to eat it that way. Like, don't replace one thing. There is this like amazing culinary history of goat out there in the world. And tacos were really cool. Like for a while, and they're still, they're still brilliant as a, like in the sort of, in the London food buzz, it had its moment maybe five or six years ago. And it was made the, the reason that, it's quite special to me is that we Neil Rankin opened a restaurant called temper. He was taking whole goats, smoking them, making this taco. And he did them at meetopia, the, the, the meat and fire festival. And I was sat on a sofa in the South, uh, sat on a recliner in the South of France when he did it. And I looked at the picture on Instagram and he tagged us in and I thought, that is the dish that is going to change people's minds on goat in the London restaurant scene. Because as I said, it's authentic, it's delicious, it's really accessible and moving goat away from people's sort of expectations and sort of idea of it in their heads of it being tough, gamey and really difficult to cook. You end up with this small, beautifully constructed, really delicious, authentic sort of bite-sized thing, you can just try. You don't I mean if you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna like go, you can spend a tenner, get a couple of tacos, try it. And if you don't like it, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. It's not like it's not like if you go to a, a restaurant where you're having an a la carte menu and you're gonna spend... And it's your main course and yeah. that's it and your main course is coming,
0: you're going, oh no, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah.
1: And you might stick to what you know. And we all know that there are dishes that people do that with. But with this taco, it was like this is this is basically a sample for the consumer. And and temper and neil has done this for me and i'm so
0: grateful is is there anything that he does or va- variations on i suppose classic tacos that he's put together with this dish that makes a difference that makes it stand out
1: well i think the the thing that you have to have with it is the is the lime sort of the lime and coriander sort of it is a salsa verde but the but it's instead of being the, like the traditional italian one with the capers and the anchovies and the mint it is just the it's Basically, garlic, lime juice, and coriander whizzed up. And that just lifts the whole lot. It's, so that citrusy flavor comes yeah, through yeah. massively. Because you've got that really you've got that really sort of smoky. And I think you need something to cut through that real smokiness with that, and that and that's what the lime does. And obviously with that kind of South American slash Mexican. Central American thing having all that lime in it is a real is and the and just the the lift that the that the coriander gives it it cuts through the smokiness really complements this sort of light gamey flavour of the kid and yeah I mean I, so if you've cooked all that goat and you've
0: done it with the tacos if you've got any leftover goat meat what's the best way of using it up leftovers anything anything that you do I mean your leftover from the other night that you've had friends over what do you do with leftovers goat
1: well. I mean we were talking about my my sister making moussaka earlier on like it's great you just drop it in the moussaka put the top on shove it in the oven that's amazing um in the book that in the book we did a like a, a refried salad with punterella. that's a really lovely yeah, way of lovely. doing it um or you can just reheat it and wrap it and wrap it up in a burrito put a load of sriracha over the top of it. So it works like, a right?
0: secondary cook. I love the idea of refrying yeah, it so yeah, it goes crispy as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Delicious.
1: Exactly. But what about
0: things like Sunday lunch then? I mean, is that something that comes is quite big into your family now that you're you know based back down in the West Country, is Sunday lunch a big thing?
1: It is. I try I try and cook Sunday lunch. If we if we're home, I will always cook a Sunday lunch. Usually roast chicken cuz my kids just always ask for roast chicken. Although my daughter Mika is six and she's recently discovered Yorkshire puddings. They're not Yorkshire puddings because she can't say the yeah so they're Yorkshire <laughs> puddings. Which means I'm starting to get I'm starting to get asked for beef quite a bit at the moment because okay. you get Yorkshire puddings with those Ro- roast beef with Yorkshire puddings. Okay, yeah. I
0: love it. Now, would that work with lamb though? That's the question. Could you have lamb and a Yorkshire pudding? I think you can have. I, I, what about goat? I, absolutely. If you like on your, Christmas, if day, you like you have Yorkshire puddings, puddings okay. have Yorkshire puddings. Okay, good. Are, I don't.
1: Right. I don't think we should be. You should have these hard and fast rules
0: okay i love that yeah yeah. yorkshire pudding <laughs> is not just for beef it's for everything do you think
1: my daughter cares whether yeah. it's like... <laughs> yes, six years old no. she doesn't uh, care yes. she just wants a yorkshire pudding <laughs> yeah. and that's it
0: <laughs> now listen some quick fire
1: questions right what is your most well-thumbed cookery book either the meat book by hugh which i think was a genre defining one but more recently feast by anissa Helou. Which is again, genre defining Middle East food is it's as thick as the meat book. She is amazing. Her writing's brilliant. Her recipes are incredible. So they're not just recipe books. they become almost like
0: uh, Bibles structures. An and an under- type of understanding food. I mean,
1: her story about the camel hump and being on television and not being allowed to do it because she was in she was in the middle east and she's a woman that story about the camel hunt the tv and her is worth buying the book for alone
0: there we go i'm going to go and get it straight up it's after amazing
1: that. what about um your favorite
0: pub because our sister brand the olive magazine is running love your local which is a campaign to support pubs and you can find any information you want at olivemagazine.com what is your favorite pub the eagle Farringdon Road. I mean, that's it, is it? Yeah. Like, I'm. There's so many people that would put that down as that's it, that's it. That's it. And the thing, been there the for genius, 30 years. The
1: genius of the Eagle is I could walk back in. I haven't worked there for 15 years. I could walk back in there and do a shift because it hasn't changed. I love you that. And do the, you want to walk back in there I, and do a honestly, shift? Honestly, I, <laughs> I hang around outside on a Friday just yeah. in case the chef doesn't turn yeah. up. I can do it, I can do it. <laughs> but there's a, there's a seat where the counter ends and the window is and there's a little seat in that corner And nobody can walk past you because you're stuck between the bar counter and the window. And that is my favorite seat anywhere to eat in the world.
0: I love what what a wonderful thing to say anywhere in the world so you can see out the window you can see everyone going up and down Fountain Road
1: yeah but you're also eating some incredible and you're right next to the kitchen so all that hustle and bustle that I love so much is happening right next to you and then you can hear the chatter and the squeaky chairs and people getting up and the laughter and you know all that stuff the buzz of a restaurant what what a brilliant place to be now tell us something that's always in your fridge uh french butter Nice. Yeah. Salt, really salty French butter. We take an extra bag on holiday with us to fill with French butter to bring home. I love that. And you go to France on holiday a lot? Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I stick me anywhere around Toulouse where all that ghost cheese is made, and I am happy as Larry. There you go. And the yeah. kids love it as well. Yeah. If there's a pool and the sun, they don't care. Yeah. They don't like the stinky cheese. Keep the stinky cheese away yeah, from yeah, me. Yeah, but yeah. the pool and the sun, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. What about uh,
0: your biggest cooking disaster?
1: Um, well, I had some. I, my my son, who's eight, had his friend William around the other day, and the first pizza stuck to the bottom, and I had scrape it off and throw it in the bin. I mean, you know, the hungry kids not got the not got the pizza stone. Classic pizza disasters. Yeah. We've all been there. We've yeah. all been there. If the stone's not hot enough and you put it on, you're scraping it off. Question is, uh, was there pineapple on it? No, 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 pi- no, no. pineapple on pizza. No. no. I love that you said that it was such disgusting. No. No. no, no, only because I didn't ask. Like I said, with the, that, I would happily feed them pineapple on the pizza. It's mm. not. I don't make the rules. Okay. I just do what the kids tell me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's the easiest way. What about food that you've never tried? Is there anything that you fancy? Anything that you've never tried that you uh, want to? Anything that you just go, no, I couldn't do that. The
1: thing that I thought of when. When I heard this question on the, on the read through, was that uh, that Scandinavian fish tin stuff that, <laughs> uh, and everyone's reaction to it is yeah. always so, like, do you look like I've you've had tried it? it. I, I've had it yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We've talk, funny enough, we've talked about it in the
0: same conversation in one of these podcasts before. It is, yeah, it is. So it ferments herring that's salted and right. fermented. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. yeah, it yeah. Ferment, and it, it bows the tin, the tin pops yeah, with right. like, you have to open it in a bucket of water because it smells so bad. So you have to open it unsubmerged in water and then take a small, and it's a tiny little piece you're supposed to spread on toast. And then you put everything else on the top of it. So it's it's just got this underlying flavor of hatred. <laughs> that's, but actually I, I I had a proper
1: pit and it was just, yeah, I mean, yeah. But you want to try that? I'm I'm intrigued by it. In the same way I'm intrigued by that uh, is it is uh, it the yeah and yeah, yeah, yeah the the French basically poo sausage yeah, the way, yeah. like I I want to just because I want to know how bad it can be
0: okay I've done both <laughs> I've
1: not gone back for seconds
0: there we go okay <laughs> you've done it for me so I don't have to yeah. bother
1: thank you very much Doc. guilty pleasure what's your guilty pleasure well I'm not sure I believe in guilty pleasures but I have a bathroom disco playlist with my kids and it's got I mean, Taylor Swift is probably my guilty but Taylor Swift, Barry Manilow, Billy Ocean, uh, The Four Tops, a bit of a, like, really Barry White. Proper. Like, really kind of cheesy like, yeah, bathroom disco. Cheesy and classic there, I think. Yeah, say. I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, so yeah. I, I, put, I made this, because getting the kids in and out of the bathroom, doing the hair, all that stuff. Trying to cover it up with a bit of music, make it fun, and I think my partner Sushi has kind of worked out that I like the music more than I pretend that I do. Uh, like, actually, okay. do you You've actually really, really like this yeah, music? Yeah, d- yeah. So I think I think cheesy disco. No, no, it's the kids. The kids it's love it. Absolutely. The kids love it. It's yeah. like, and that's why we have Yorkshire puddings <laughs> with chicken because the kids love it. It's nothing yeah. to do with me. <laughs> um,
0: listen, James, thank you ever so much for chatting this to to us today, and like really insightful um and incredibly uh informative in terms of goats in terms of where uh, how to use them what to do with them and like i really do encourage people to eat more of it if you can't get it in the supermarket honestly keep asking for it and if you can't if you see it on a menu try it because it is a fantastic meat it does taste super great and if you're eating in great restaurants with great produce and great ingredients you've got nothing to worry about and um, guys thanks so much for listening and don't forget you can listen to the bonus cook-along recipe that I can't wait to hear it's the goat tacos so for more details please go to bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcast James thank you very much and everybody else thank you we'll see you next time bye bye i